0: On this episode of AvTalk, the FedEx 767 emergency landing at LAX, Canada takes the 737 MAX out for a spin, and we look at an unfortunately large amount of discouraging news from around the industry. Hello, and welcome to episode 92 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnick, here as always
1: with Jason Rabinowitz. Hi, Ian. Has anything good happened in the last two weeks? Oh. I'm just going to jump right to it. Is the answer no? The answer is no, yes. Oh. Yes. Sarah. Well, that's episode 92.
0: Thanks yes. Said, we'll be back in two weeks with hopefully a little bit more to show for ourselves. This is an episode in which nothing truly good happens, but we'll, we'll look at some things that have happened over the past couple of weeks, what has happened, where we're going and what, you know, positive spin we we can try and put on, well, anything out of something bad came something good so go on so, so the the big you know or, or came something not terrible i guess the big news as far as events go past couple of weeks was a fedex 767 suffered a landing gear issue near los angeles on approach to los angeles so they they worked the problem checklists etc cetera, etc cetera and decided, you know what, uh, we've done all we can from up here. There's nothing more we can do. We might as well put it down. And The left main landing gear was not locked in place, was not down and locked in place. So They ended up landing on the right main gear and the nose gear and came to rest at a tilt on their left engine, but no serious injuries. One of the pilots was injured during the evacuation. I believe they went out the- Flight deck rope ladder or escape Which ladder.
1: Is curious. I, I wonder why they did that. I'm sure they had a very good reason to do so because that's not exactly the safest way to exit the aircraft.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, there there were there were sparks and and, and flames because of the way the aircraft landed. So perhaps they decided that that was the the safest way to go out the uh, out the right side of the aircraft. Because remember, it's a cargo aircraft, so you don't have the same left and right exits. That you do on a passenger aircraft, so so maybe that was part of it, or uh, or or how the aircraft came to rest. I, I don't know, but thankfully no serious injuries, just a an ankle injury as it was reported initially. So uh, everything ended up working the way it's supposed to in those types of situations. Well, that's good. They they came in on the approach. They made a few low passes. Past the tower, it was dark at the time, so so not much could be seen. But they had on the first pass, they came past the tower. On the second pass, they had they had another FedEx plane lined up for takeoff that was looking. They had multiple ground vehicles stationed at various lengths along the runway to see who could get a a good view. And then after that, they they went back out over the water, ran more checklists, and then and then went for it and landed uh, safely. So, the, the plane's not old, it's a, a rather new 767, it's one of the, the pure freighters built for FedEx.
1: Just four years old? Just I think. Yeah,
0: just, just four years old. So hopefully, the aircraft is repaired and, and put back into service.
1: Yeah. Well, sometimes age of the aircraft has absolutely nothing to do with uh, what caused the actual mechanical malfunction. So maybe it was debris on the runway that had picked
0: up we don't know so like Yeah yeah I, I didn't mean to I didn't mean to suggest that the age of the aircraft was a a factor how in how ages of you? Jeez. My main point there was that if it had been, you know, a 30-year-old 767 maybe it wouldn't get repaired. is my point. But being only 4 years old, you know, hopefully it gets back in action. So in the very wind, long winding saga of the shootdown of the Ukrainian international airline seven three seven on January eighth. The flight recorders were read out the third week of July in Paris by the French BEA. It took that long to for everyone to agree where the recorders should go and who should do all of the analysis and things like that. Now we're getting our first reports about what is included on the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder. So they're reporting now and that there was 19 seconds after the first missile strike of uh, recorded data, and then the recorders cut out. And there was also discussion on the flight deck between the pilots about what had just happened. So they continued to try and fly the aircraft after the first missile hit. So some some information about where things had been going on and, and what had been happening in the uh, in the flight deck. But we'll continue to follow along and, and see what happens when the final report is eventually issued. And at this rate, it will take quite a while before we hear that one again. Yeah, uh, fortunately we're not really waiting for any critical information
1: to come out of this as we already know what happened, but it is frustrating to have to wait so long for
0: official official documentation. Right, right. Exactly. But we'll get it when we get it and and things keep moving along. So, but always good to have a, a little bit more information. Moving on. So, traffic in August has not been great. It rose from the second week of April and you know it is certainly continuing to rise ish, but the the this growth in in air traffic has the the curve has definitely started to flatten. We saw a bit of a dip at the end of July, a big pickup in the the first week in August and then things just kind of you know, inched up but the the real recovery that we saw you know from from the lows of you know 40,000 commercial flights a day we're at about 70,000 right now so from april to august uh, you know a, a growth of an average growth of 30,000 flights but things are kind of stalling airlines are starting to pull back the summer you know the summer schedule is starting to wane and that's you know kind of leading us into a lot of at least in the US especially you know we're just about a month away from a lot of bad a lot of bad choices mm-hmm. and a lot of bad things you know as far as job cuts and airlines getting ready to stop flying unfortunately and things like that as the, the cares act and and the payroll support stuff runs out so jason I, I thought what we could do now is move into um you know some of the some of the bad gonna you know, break down some of the bad news to start and walk our way through you know kind of what's happening. I don't want to say highlights, but I guess hit the low lights of things and and some some good things you know some you know bright spots and things like that. I guess we can start on a high note. Spirit Airlines just uh, in, in the past uh, day or, or so came to an agreement with their pilots to to basically ensure that everyone remains on the job. Some early outs, some some cut time, but everyone will be you know still there. So that's that's the good news, I guess. We get to start with yeah that's that's
1: good that that can't
0: possibly be bad news, right? No I, I mean it's with the funding running out at the end of September in the us for for the airlines to to keep people in the payrolls, airlines, you know this is not. The start of of the furlough announcements but they're they're starting to to really feel real furlough notices being broken out by this is how many people American Airlines says that uh they're going to have forty thousand fewer people on the payroll you know come October first if the the payroll support is not extended united's cutting delta's cutting i mean all these major airlines are cutting on September 30th ExpressJet will stop flying because entirely. of uh, entirely the the airline will stop flying because of United's decision to to maintain only one regional contract carrier of the E145. Right, right. So I mean, you know, these these things are are coming up quickly and we'll see, I guess, whether or not in the US Congress moves to make changes based on this new reality there seems to be little movement at this point on anything so i'm not yeah, optimistic
1: it, it just wouldn't make sense at this point as painful as that is extending payroll benefits will only delay the inevitable which is would be good for those who are potentially looking at having their job made redundant but at the end of the day it's still only going to delay it however long that funding lasts for cuz these Reductions in airline sizes, while not permanent, they are going to be long term.
0: Right, right. And that's something a lot of other airlines are looking at. Qantas this week says that they're gonna cut twenty five hundred jobs by outsourcing the ground handling. The CEO of Qantas International is leaving the company because the airline will not be flying internationally, it says, until at least July of twenty twenty one. So I mean we're, you know, roughly a year away from from Qantas operating international flights. And forget about long-haul international, like
1: the United States or even New York. That could be years from now.
0: Right. Exactly. Just this week, another one of their A380s flew into into storage at, at Victorville. and This one went directly from cabin refurbishment in Dresden to storage in Victorville. That's uh, painful. Yeah. So th- this was, you know, an aircraft that had been flown up to Germany for a a refit of the interior. That was completed. Then they put it back into storage temporarily there and then this week it was flown from from Dresden to to Victorville for long-term storage, possibly forever we don't know uh, we don't
1: quite, know it, it yeah. could potentially just be be ready and prime condition with a new cabin never used to come back into service one day
0: yeah it would it would be like a it would be like a brand new plane elsewhere in in bad news uh Finnair cutting a thousand jobs they Completed a sale and leaseback of one of their A350s to raise some cash. So that's which good, is not uncommon. Yes, no, no. That, that, I mean, that's not uncommon even in the best of times. It, it's a good way to uh, for airlines to to raise cash. But one bright spot, I, I guess, is that Virgin Atlantic's creditors approved their proposed rescue package. So that goes in front of British regulators, a, a court there, and hopefully they'll approve it so that that BA or the BA uh Virgin Atlantic can keep keep going on. The one thing I did want to talk about with this was the what appeared like a big announcement to those that don't closely follow bankruptcy law in the US was actually nothing of the sort. And it was kind of fun to watch everyone I don't want to say freak out. Have a bit of a meltdown. Yeah, it, treat it as as breaking breaking news before cold water was thrown on the headlines. So so what happened is Virgin Atlantic declared bankruptcy, lack of a better term, entered voluntary restructuring in the UK. As part of that process, they filed what is called chapter 15 bankruptcy in the US. So, so Most companies either file chapter seven or chapter 11 bankruptcy. Chapter 11 bankruptcy is the more common one for airlines because it's just a restructuring of what money is owed to whom. Chapter 15 allows the consolidation of claims by creditors into into one area, in this case the UK, because that's where, where Virgin Atlantic is based. There was considerable hubbub, shall we say, over this uh, particular headline. And so it got a lot of traction for what, say six hours, Jason? Yeah, before it was completely quashed as being nonsense. So everybody had a fun day. But generally, things do not look Great, right now for for airlines writ large. Certainly, there are. I, I would say there are more challenges to come for various airlines, depending on what your what your regional outlook looks like. The U.S. airlines certainly not not doing great. Europe looking a little bit better. Asia is is a mixed bag, and then Qantas in Australia and and. Virgin Australia going through their restructuring as well, so not not great. Air New Zealand has been a relative bright spot, I guess. Well, the country as a whole. Well, I mean, the country as a whole has been a very bright spot, I would say. But as far as airline goes, I, I would say that um, you know they've they've done a remarkable job navigating all of this. But we'll continue to. To hang on for what is not a not a fun ride, and and hopefully we'll start seeing better news. I, I mean, United made uh, a big deal about bringing 150 aircraft out of storage recently, and and so you know hopefully we'll start to see things like that. Hopefully these furlough numbers are worse in anticipation than will happen in reality. But the reality is the the airline industry is is shrinking for a lengthy period of time and jason and i i, I know n- neither of us take any pleasure or solace in this fact whatsoever you know it's it's hard because we're we're seeing friends you know or or people that we know saying you know i'm out of a job now
1: yeah it is definitely a, a a good chunk of my friends in the industry either professionally or or, or personally are either very much on the bubble or have already taken their voluntary separation from airlines. And it's, it's tough these days. It's really a lot of people, this is their industry they want to be in and thought they would be for their whole life. And that is no longer an option for a lot of people right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and there are a lot of people who, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's not even a career. It's it's just what they have to do. You know, they, they fall in love with, you know, flying and it's just what they have to do. And to be put in that position where you have to make a, a terrible choice between, you know, do I do I go now when the voluntary, you know, offers are on the table, or or do I try and hang on and then maybe it's not my choice. And it's you know, we're coming to a very hard 30, 60, 90 days, but hopefully things really start to to turn up. I'm, I'm hoping we start to see more positive news um, in the coming in the coming few months. I, I really hope we do. it's it's tough On that cheery note, let's take a break regroup and come and talk about, I I won't say more great news, but some interesting flying that's happening now and how you can follow along with that. So Stay with us. We'll, We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is the wildfire and hurricane season. And they're coming together this week, and there is a ton of aviation happening around both. It seems like the entirety of California is on fire at this point they got to the point where i think they've stopped naming the fires because there are so many but there are a ton of aerial assets there including the 747 super tanker and the dc10s uh, operated by 10 tanker so the super tanker is the world's largest air tanker up to 20,000 gallons of fire retardant or water in a single drop which is just a massive amount uh, of firefighting capability and and still not nearly enough and still yeah and still not nearly we we need a fleet of them at this point i wonder how much it would cost to convert some of these retired 747s into i wonder if anyone's looked at that
1: if you've got the capital to convert them and get them certified i'm i'm sure someone would be happy to operate them
0: what's jeff bezos up to we should give them a call. Literally everything. I, apparently, this is true. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder what the feasibility of doing that would be because that seems like a, a great opportunity here. Anyway, so the uh, N 744st is the registration that, that you can search and follow, or you can uh, search their call sign, which is GST nine four four, and that'll let you follow them. And then you also have the uh, the DC ten. Tankers, well, which carry still a massive amount uh, of water, fire retardant, but but not quite as much, and and those are all flying in California right now, or Utah, and I believe one is in Colorado. Um, so so you can look for those around uh, wildfire areas. Just just check the map and and see what is active because there's just uh, a lot of. Action there, but also a lot of the smaller tankers and the helicopters too, and and those are also uh, visible for the most part, except when they're flying really you know mountainous terrain. Uh, It makes it difficult to to track them at low level when they're making their drops. But just some really truly incredible flying by those pilots. I I mean, I that's it's still crazy to me that you you just fly basically a ridgeline just above the ridgeline, and then your plane is you know if you're the 747 you're hundreds of thousands of pounds lighter in less than a minute.
1: Yeah and also don't forget about the uh the massive uh spotter aircraft that are out there also operated mostly by the forest service i believe. They're out there circling for hours and hours on end to guide and position these tankers.
0: Yeah that that's true the the air attack aircraft are all All circling, and then there are the leader aircraft, which actually fly in front of the very large air tankers and guide the drops. So basically, the the air tanker pilots are following a smaller plane, and then they're told when to when to drop the retardant. And the whole process is just absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, it's very choreographed, very precise, but also pretty dangerous. If we're being honest, yeah, they have to be very careful about everything they do.
0: When they're not all busy, we're going to try and have some of the air tanker pilots on the podcast to talk about what they do, how they do, and how they train for that type of thing. But they're all doing their job right now, so not available for for podcast at the moment. But we're looking forward to to talking with some people in the future. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we've got the hurricane hunters that have uh quite a bit of work to do today and this week. There were two hurricanes or two storm systems moving onto the to the US Gulf Coast and the NOAA hurricane hunters were, were quite busy. All three of them are active now. Kermit had been inactive for a while, but now Kermit, Miss Piggy and Gonzo are all active. NOAA has named their... They're hurricane hunters. There's NOAA 42, which is Kermit, uh, and that's a WP3D. NOAA 43, which is Miss Piggy, also WP3D. And then there's Gonzo, which is NOAA 49, and that's a Gulfstream G4. The two P3s fly into the storm. And I, I sh- retweeted uh, a video from one of the the scientists in one of the P3s who created uh what what he's calling a turbulence uh measurement system which is really just a a piece of equipment that is hung from the ceiling by a string and it was shaking around in the video to try and give you know an idea of uh what they're flying through. So the P3s fly into the storm and, and drop sensors and take measurements and things like that and then the Gulfstream flies high above and in front of the storm track to kind of get an atmospheric measurement there and they put all that together to to make more accurate forecasts of you know the strength of the storm, where it's headed, and things like that. So it's really fascinating flying and what they're doing. And and somebody asked on the Twitter machine. Somebody asked about why they use prop aircraft instead of instead of jets in the storms. And so Nick Underwood, who is the uh, aerospace engineer and who is on board one of the NOAA aircraft, one of the Hurricane Hunter aircraft, said that they use the uh, the prop aircraft. In the storms, because they can handle the updrafts and downdrafts better the the props can I would
1: have guessed it had something to do with water ingestion
0: that would be an interesting one too. I mean maybe that 's part of it but but his explanation was that the props can adjust to the updrafts and downdrafts much faster than than the jets because they take more time to spool up so so that was uh i thought an interesting. An interesting little uh, tidbit about hurricane hunting. Uh, so that's your hurricane hunter fun fact.
1: Excellent. I love fun facts.
0: I, I do too. This is the, the kind of stuff that, that I, I love learning about, like these very specific applica- aviation applications where you, know, you have a plane that does one thing, which, which I, I just find fascinating. How about a plane that doesn't really do anything? Go on. The 737 MAX. This is is our 737 MAX update for this particular episode. Canada, in its, I want to say, concurrent quest to recertify the aircraft, Transport Canada will be taking the 737 MAX on a test flight of their own. So, the FAA formerly would You know, do the certification and then let Canada know. Yeah, it's fine. the The plane's good to go. We've certified it, and Canada would say, "Okay, that's good enough for us." This time around, Canada wants to fly it themselves, so that's supposed to happen this week. So by the time the podcast comes out on Friday, that will likely have already occurred but you know you can you can search uh, we don't know for sure but it'll likely be the the 737 max 7 test aircraft N7201S so we'll put a link in the show notes to that flight if it does happen by the time the podcast comes out the max also got its first order of 2020
1: It's been a long time since I believe the last order was uh, the British Airways order? Uh, Way back at one of the air shows?
0: Way back, yes. So the first 737 MAX order of 2020 goes to Enter Air. And we're not talking about a large number. It's two plus options
1: for two. Right. So, not a huge vote of confidence, but a vote of confidence nonetheless. Interesting, yeah. to say the least, I would not – if I were a small airline like Air, I would not be signing agreements to purchase new aircraft when you probably have a vast choice of uh, used grounded aircraft globally right now, but hey, they, maybe they got a good deal.
0: One would assume that the, the deal they got was better than good. I, I would say I hope so.
1: I don't know what airline right now is a in the position to purchase new aircraft and b sees the need to when you're just talking about two
0: and potentially four aircraft yeah it was very very unclear to me why they would be purchasing the aircraft at this point, maybe there was you know some type of Financing to be had, or, or something like that. It on, could on just a be a spectacular
1: or, deal. Boeing has a large number of Maxes sitting on the ground for customers that don't exist anymore, and for customers that don't want them anymore. So top of mind, I guess, would be uh, Jet Airways. So those aircraft have got to go somewhere at some point. So Boeing probably just cut them a very substantially good deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. One of the interesting things about this order was the nomenclature that, that Boeing uses to describe the purchase, and, and there was a, a, a bit made about this. You know, when the when the press release came out announcing this order, they refer to the aircraft now as the seven three seven dash eight. Only um, in. The headline, right? Which was, you know, interesting because they use Max everywhere else. They used it five times otherwise throughout
1: the press release, both Boeing and Enter Air interchangeably. So it wasn't just one or the other. The only place they left it out was the headline. So I disagree with anyone saying that they have dropped the Max branding. Oh, that just isn't the case.
0: Yeah, no. It, they, I, they certainly haven't dropped the Max branding. But I, I thought it was interesting that that it was included in the headline and not just noted in the in the piece. I mean, it, I, I wish we could, you know, kind of settle this once and for all. And, and certainly, you and I are not going to be able to. But I'm just, I thought we had all gone and, and said, you know, this is just you know, this is it's still the max moving on, but maybe that's not the case. If, if they're going to rename it, I wish they would do it sooner rather than later because we've got a lot of database entries to make up if that's the case. So, you know, it it would have been so much easier from the beginning. We had just, you know, all decided to call it the 737 eight, seven three seven dash 9 and the max could have been some sort of branding exercise.
1: I don't think they'll do it. I don't think they'll change. That would be admitting defeat, admitting that the aircraft is so broken that you have to rename it, and all of their rhetoric and, and press material so far has, has been, this is a, a great aircraft and will be a great aircraft. So why change the name if you think that? Yeah, I,
0: I agree with you. I agree with you. I, okay. I don't think they'll do yeah, yeah, and that was the end of discussion. No, but I, I don't think they'll change it, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, if airlines push to change it, will what do you do then? I mean when you've got you know say you've got uh, a group of airlines go, this is you know it's not a Max to us it's the you know the 737-8 and then well, Remember
1: we we already saw this happen it feels like an eternity ago but several months ago right one of Ryanair's newest uh, 73 Maxes that came out of the factory was painted not with 737 Max 8 it said 737-8 and whatever the variant of their super high capacity version their, is, uh, but it the did not say Max on the, yeah right but it did not say max on the nose.
0: I I setting all that aside I think it's still kind of bonkers that they're going to fit 200 people on a on a 737. But that's just Yeah,
1: it's almost like it's not natural and shouldn't happen.
0: <laughs> but that's just me. That that's just me. What else happened in the past couple of weeks? British Airways retired its first 747, so they, you know, sent it off to be taken apart. The the, the first one went down to Spain, and uh, E Cube is the uh, relatively new aircraft disassembly expert. Hey, good business there. to get into all of a sudden. So yeah, they they opened up a, a relatively. Relatively recently in Spain, and they'll be disassembling uh, at least one, probably a few British Airways uh, 747s. British Airways also sent off the first GE engine powered triple seven. So this was one of the one of the first triple sevens. This is just a regular triple seven two hundred, not not an ER. And that, one of only
1: three at the airline, I believe, right.
0: Down to two now, yeah, yeah, and that was the the first one that, that Boeing produced, and so now that's gone off for retirement. So they they have one remaining in their fleet, and and it seems like that one will go off into retirement relatively soon. I think it's just a a question of finding a time to to fly it. Uh, not very far at all. Over to Saint. Yeah, those were uh, uh, simply just, like we just said. Those were
1: one of only three in the fleet. Those were G Z Z Z A B and C in the fleet. I love those aircraft. We saw those at JFK all the time. <laughs> I, I can't tell if you're being serious or not. No, I'm, I'm serious. I like those. But, okay, why? Why? I knew those three had a, a particular configuration on board. They were updated while other aircraft flying to JFK were, were not always updated. And I knew if the registration was ZZZ, A, B, or C, I was going to have a good flight. Huh.
0: Okay. I mean, because my- The more you know. Uh, the more you know. I This is the kind of thing that people turn to you for, Jason. These well, small that's the tid- kind of thing I, I strive to provide. I, I understand these small tidbits of of making flying just a little bit better. Eurowings is going to let you pay to keep the middle seat empty because but you could always have done that
1: on any airline if you just bought a second ticket. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was uh, that's basically what I was going to argue, or not even. argue, just say is that yeah, it, we're back to different marketing materials for or if you flew an existing uh, product
1: business within intra Europe most airlines the middle seat was empty what's different about this is it for their international flying or just within uh,
0: Europe it, it, it's your euro, uh, euro wings generally but I, um, the price varies based on on w- where the flying is is taking place. But I I thought we were – I mean, I guess we're not because some airlines are still doing it. But I I thought we'd all kind of moved on from the middle seat empty thing.
1: Eh, not so much. At least here in the US, there's still a number of airlines doing it. JetBlue,
0: Delta just announced they'll be doing it through the beginning of next year. But wasn't their announcement a bit different because they said they were going to do it, but – through They were going to do it through next year, but only if – things didn't fill up or, or something like that? Wasn't there a caveat uh, to that? I'm still not completely clear. Delta
1: actually reached out, and I guess I could just read the uh, quote that they will be uh, upping capacity caps to 75% in the main cabin. Uh, that includes 60 to 75% in first class just because of the way the, the cabins are configured. Right. Um, they'll evaluate that on October 1st, but the bottom line fact is that middle seats will remain blocked through at least January 6th. So that is the word from Delta
0: Corporate Communications. Okay. Yep. There you go. Well, okay, then then good for them. Good for them. A, a little bit of uh last pieces of news. One of the things that that we talked about uh, a few episodes ago as far as Boeing studying its future plans for the 787, where the 787 will be built as we talked about before it's basically a feasibility study to see if the 787 can be built solely in the South Carolina production facility which would leave a huge hole in Washington's aerospace community with the the winding down of the 747 with 787 production possibly moving to South Carolina i mean you don't have much left in Washington as far as that goes you know it, the the Triple Seven Productions is not. There's not a lot. I mean, you know, especially for the next few years. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But it's a a study, if you will.
1: Yeah, well, the study is almost certainly going to show that is yes, it is feasible. It is economically advantageous to build the seven eight seven only in uh, on the East Coast. I I think there's a distinct possibility that the Everett facility, as we know it, will be short-lived. I can't imagine that facility being needed as a whole as we see it now, especially if 787s are moved to the East Coast, 777 production. I can't see that lasting all that much longer. 747, like you just said, is winding down. What's left then? You have 767s. Uh, the both the the freighter and the the air tanker, but those certainly can't have uh, an infinite lifespan. So what does that leave left for Everett?
0: I mean, at some point, Boeing's going to have to design and build a new large aircraft. Maybe at some point, but we are a long way away from that, aren't we? We we sure are. We're we're a long way away from a lot of things. I, I think somebody asked me what. The the silver lining of all of this was, and, and I didn't have a good answer. You know, I guess you could look at um, increased fuel efficiency among airline fleets as kind of a good. Th- I mean, it's definitely a good thing, but to have it come about this way, I'm not. You know, I'm not sure that's a silver lining. But one of the things I've been thinking about it, and and one of the things I think we talked about before is kind of the acceleration of Of uncertainty driving whatever is going to come next. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of talk right now about supersonic stuff and things like that. I don't see that being necessary or relevant to how people will actually fly in the future at this point. I I just haven't seen it, you know, beyond the marketing. Supersonic, Uh, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Every, every time I hear
1: anything about Boom Arrow or whatever the competitor is, I just roll my eyes and think, no, this, isn't, this is not the future. This is the wrong thing to be looking at. If it works, great for them. But I'm, I'm pessimistic on that. I think the future is more alternative fuels or electric powered aircraft. There might be a space for supersonic in the, the private aviation space, but commercially, we already did that and it was too expensive. It, it, it really didn't work all that well, uh, not you know mechanically, e- economically, and, and business case wise. It just it,
0: there's a reason why it's not a thing right now. Yeah, and I think that exploring that is all well and good, but I, I think that looking at like a Boeing or an Airbus and then deciding what's next, what comes after the seven three seven, forget all the all the max stuff, you know. It, it, the pressure to to figure out what comes next, I think, is going to be one of the most pressing things that comes out of this pandemic. Everything is so uncertain right now, but I, I think when things start to to ease back to some semblance of normalcy in life, the impact that that's going to have is to provide even more. Of an impetus to to figure out what comes next, to drive the business forward, to make sure that those businesses can survive. So I'm certainly cautiously optimistic, but I'm also kind of excited to see what comes, like who comes up with the next big idea, because something is going to come out of this that's going to change aviation beyond just the shrinking of the footprint, beyond just the changing of how people fly you know in the in the touch points and things like that but but how aircraft are designed and built I feel there's a good chance that that could change now and if you have that big idea send us an email <laughs> please by all means so that that's my my little, I guess, uplifting bit here to, to kind of close out the show. The one thing that, that we also should mention is is a small thing, but Cargo Lux has gone ahead and painted one of their 747s with a mask. So there I, I haven't seen the door open yet, so I, I don't know how that works, but uh there's a giant blue Blue facial mask on a seven four seven. That registration is LX VCF. So and that mask is properly covering the aircraft's nose. Indeed, like a lot of people. There you mm-hmm. go. So be on the lookout for that that special livery, and and there we go. This has been episode ninety two of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with. Jason Ribenowitz, thanks for listening and maybe we'll bring you some better news next time. Here's hoping.